Twilight, a bi-weekly Ghost in the Magazine supplemental series where we explore the liminal places, the hauntingly familiar unrealities, the architecture of lilac prose that is Rod Serling's original Twilight Zone series. I'm Elle. And I'm Steph. And today we're going to take a look at episodes one through four of the first season of the show, which originally aired in 1959. This includes Where Is Everybody?, one for the Angels, Mr. Denton on Doomsday, and the 16mm Shrine. We'll be discussing Where is Everybody and the 16mm Shrine together with Steph and I, and then I will loop back and go over the other two briefly. So let's start with Where is Everybody, which is maybe the most quintessential Twilight Zone episode, a very fitting opener to the series. The high strangeness of the main narrative is explained by a simple twist of perspective in the end, and it's a formula that they use throughout the series. But the hollowness, the soft apocalypse, and the low-key panic of this particular episode makes it such a fitting kickoff to the series. So in this episode, Mike Ferris, an Air Force man, is stumbling through the seemingly abandoned town of Oakwood looking for signs of human life while never actually encountering any other people. In the end, it's revealed that Ferris is actually in an isolation booth in a hangar and was on roughly 484 hours cut off from human contact. His experience in Erie Oakwood was all a hallucination. I think the most interesting part of this episode are the pieces of reality that break through. Ferris in his uniform, realizing he's an Air Force man, knowing exactly how much money he has in his pocket, and of course, the broken clock. There's an anti-capitalist rant there somewhere, but hopefully Steph will save me. I never want to save you from rants, <laughs> especially in this situation. I really like this episode. I really like the choice for the beginning of the entire series. So you said soft apocalypse and that hit me. I really love that description because that's really what it feels like and it's like a controlled fever dream which is literally what the entire series is like Mm -hmm. a fever dream it's all things that nobody has seen before really at this point in time so I thought that was a good jumping off point and yeah the strangeness he's talking to himself through this entire episode and I love how it starts off where he's just very like nonchalant about it like this is weird (laughs) there's no people here and when he was in the diner he was literally talking to the staff like yelling back at them without seeing anybody without confirming that anyone was there and this is just like nothing to him at first and then it slowly gets crazier and crazier until he realizes that he's all alone and then he snaps love that so i think it's interesting when we frame it in that it is somebody having a hallucination after being isolated because i would like to think personally my brain would split into a bunch of different people (laughs) and populate it and so i'd start talking to myself but that's maybe a normal (laughs) human reaction okay maybe straight-laced hallucination (laughs) Probably. I was trying to put myself in this situation and I would immediately freak out. I have moments even now (laughs) as a quote unquote sane adult where like if I leave for work at a time where I know there should be cars and I happen to not see any, I'm like, is this the rapture? Where is the car? (laughs) Immediately. Like I went once to Duncan and it's right on the corner and I didn't see a single car. And when I passed by the window, I didn't see anyone inside the Duncan and I said, this is it. This is it. <laughs> 
So you just put yourself into this episode without even having seen it yet. Correct. And I was just unsettled. Um, I love when he saw the mannequin and he's just like, there's a lady. I'm going to go talk to her. And he's literally talking to her from across the street without confirming that like windows are down like she can't hear you through the glass buddy and he's having this whole conversation with her and then opens the door to find that she is a mannequin (laughs) and then there are more mannequins in the store that he goes into and I hate that there's no people but there are mannequins (laughs) I just want to put that out there also that he has to like drop a pickup line on the mannequin well he's you know at it (laughs) I mean would he really be a man if he didn't (laughs) I guess not not in this (laughs) time frame probably not Mm, probably not in this one either yeah true not sorry so I was thinking about how audiences would have reacted to this episode I would have loved to like never have seen any tv really like anything good on tv and then this thing comes up and I'm like whoa so I immediately thought of war of the worlds and how the radio station freaked everybody out and they thought the world was ending and I can imagine that was just hearing it Mm -hmm. I mean that was before this and then imagine seeing something like that and then it might have been like the first little uh wheel turning in their head the government could mess with us the government (laughs) could be messing with us right now and those conspiracy theories are born the other thing that's interesting is which symbols come through like broken clock especially It's like symbolizing that he has no real grip on time. Like time has lost all value. And it's something that, you know, when they take him out of that chamber, they're like, watch his hand so you don't cut him on the glass from that broken clock. Yes, 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 yes. Yes. So it's also that broken time, that sense of losing time can wound you quite physically. There's a lot of symbolism in here that's really interesting. I guess it's just the way that we are rooted into our system. We have to have the time. We have to know how much money we have. It's all these things that are the value indicators of us as individuals in this shitty capitalist system. This is the stuff that he clings to. I know, here I go, but it's interesting. The other thing is the next episode we're going to talk about. This is like about how we deal with reality and how we perceive reality. Because even like he has a moment before he goes completely off the deep end where he thinks that he's locked inside that phone booth and it's just, he's just not opening it right. But even, his false reality he has trouble with (laughs) oh I didn't even realize that's so unfortunate another thing that's interesting to me is at the end when you have the generals or whatever the hell they are in that hangar and they're being interviewed and they're like so was this a success and then they give it in how much time it would take to like get to uh, I can't remember if it's Mars or the moon or whatever and they're like yes this is a success is it though like it is (laughs) Is it it? because that man might never be the same again after that yeah Um, I mean he's probably gonna have nightmares what is the goal here to see how long a human can go with before they crack like Mm -hmm. alone yeah it seemed like it was the idea of a single man spacecraft is why they were doing it but i don't know how that's even feasible but anyway it's not you always need a buddy like loneliness is a killer so why on earth would they think that that's appropriate well the other thing is the outro the way it's kind of framed is like this idea of what stands between individual man and like infinity is like this need for a community this need for that interaction and so it's almost like a transcendental thought about like how to get above what it is to be human there's a lot of different ways I can fuck myself in the head with this episode I just can't no I just can't (laughs) Steph just had some magic tea magic tea we're gonna go ahead and move on (laughs) 
because it's why am it. i the resident stoner of this podcast well you know i got fucked up with that witch episode which okay. uh what is actually going to be coming out after this episode strangely enough so if you're listening to this and you want to hear what it sounds like with me completely blitzed off my ass check out that witch episode which is dropping sunday <laughs> mm-hmm. we were a little destroyed so the 16 millimeter cool. shrine, the last episode in this little selection of the first four, to me, it's just an interesting narrative about the various realities we create in our heads. It made it the obvious companion episode to Where Is Everybody? From Serling's outro, this is very interesting to me, to the wishes that come true, to the strange mystic strength of the human animal who can take a wishful dream and give it a dimension of its own. And, you know, I just fucking love that, I must say. Anyway, this episode revolves around former film star Barbara Jean Trenton, who clings to her younger years by immersing herself in the movies she created. So she's immersing herself in art. So I'm already on board here. The people (laughs) around her, her agent, her assistant, even her former co-stars are concerned as she becomes more and more obsessed with reliving her glory days. But there are a few things here. There's a conversation about how our internal realities shape our interactions with other people how both internal and external crises push us further into or out of those realities and how we reason with time and you know everything as human beings. But let's start with how this episode struggle lines up with where is everybody, which is like the idea of creating your own reality and living in it, because that's exactly what our Air Force man was doing in that first. I mean, he was in a different crisis. You know, Barbara Jean is in a mental crisis, obviously, but she has created this world of her past to go back into to deal with the fact that she is, you know, kind of in a little bit of probably depression, it seems Mm -hmm. like. Yeah, I would say so. But then also she had the choice to choose where she was and he was not. He was just dropped into something, which sucks. But he probably agreed to go on that mission because at the end of it, he was like, I'm going to do this again. Like, how long can I do it next time? That's why I was like, crazy motherfucker. Poor Barbara Jean. She's so beautiful and her world is so beautiful. I really can't blame her because in that time, like, it's Hollywood glam is like the epitome of this is it. Okay. Mm -hmm. And if that's the top, that's why she wants to stay there. And I just think it's sad she's not accepting her age and like the age of people that she has a past with when they want to give her that role as a mother. And she's like, "Uh, I think not, Mm -hmm. even though that's your age now, honey, Mm -hmm. like these are the roles for you. And so instead of caving to them, she's like, well, I'm going to live here. I'm not going to go outside anymore. This is where it is. This is where I'm young. This is where I live forever. She starts out just obsessed with watching the movie. She maybe spends too much time doing it Mm -hmm. but you know it's like when her friends start trying to do the right thing and push her into doing other things it feels like Mm -hmm. she goes further and further off the deep end well sure maybe it wasn't their place to do that and maybe they should have just had more conversations with her about it you know instead Mm -hmm. of just trying to do that and like why would they set her up to go talk with homeboy when he's not in the industry at all and he owns grocery stores she was like ew if they know her they know she's not gonna want that right and same with that studio guy they knew he was gonna be a dick to her i mean yes It's like, that's not going to help. I don't know. It seems like she had a problem with reality. And instead of finding a healthy way to deal with that, they just tried to shock her into staying in this very discordant reality that she felt like she didn't vibe with at all. And it just sent her further back into that unreality. Yeah, they're bad friends. Period. (laughs) 
they're bad friends for real and she went and she got herself some new friend in the screen her make-believe friends her mind made a whole cast of friends up for her you know she is out (laughs) this is the world i would be living in if i was in a box yeah you'd be in in a pickle man book and bring your other friends i would be beating the shit out of mr darcy oh that's also a thing i believe that one hundred thousand percent I like this because you always want to, I mean, it's sad for her that that happened, but I also like it because you want to believe that all your dreams are going to come true. And if you wish for it hard enough, it'll happen. You know, maybe not to this extent, but I mean, the human mind is a mysterious thing and the law of attraction is real and everything that's around that. Like if you meditate in certain ways, you can unlock all of these areas of your brain and and things like that and she found the key we'll never find it we'll never be like Barbara (laughs) yeah we could probably accomplish lesser things I think the ending of this and I read some reviews and people don't like the ending because it's like oh this isn't real it's like what's a fucking Twilight Zone episode what do you want it's not going to be realistic my dude that is the worst criticism of a Twilight Zone episode ever the thing about it is is if you were to adjust some levels of her expectation she could definitely bring that glamour that she Mm -hmm. remembers into her day-to-day life and adjust accordingly right and live yeah she needed adjustments and at the same time though the happy ending to this was you know it was a little bit it's candy I like it (laughs) I'm not gonna lie I like it too I don't have a problem here there are enough episodes that are fucking weird for you people like Mm -hmm. you just move on to the next episode and I think that's what's so magical it's allowed to have endings like this because Mm -hmm. there are plenty of other things for you to pick and choose from which is amazing okay so there were movies that came out around this time Mm -hmm. they're very sci-fi and otherworldly like I think Invasion of the Body Centers came out the same year Mm. and then like the thing came out before that whatever because I feel like that's what people wanted around that time and this show is still doing that and setting the bar for other things because it's consistent strangeness like Mm -hmm. bite-sized chunks of consistent strangeness and they didn't have that yeah well another thing is it's strangeness in a way that is close enough to real life to make you really think about reality and make you really think about like the things we take for granted and what we believe but it's like Mm. these abstract ideas that we assign so many things to our reality and the places where our realities as individuals interact it's a weird exploration of it and it's entertaining and it makes you think and it's just a wonderful way of dipping your toes into some kind of philosophical thought and still being entertained and it's still relevant to this Mm -hmm. day so much so that Jordan Peele did a Twilight Zone little reboot thing and it was fun and then I still enjoy watching the previous Twilight Zone movie they're just still so good in a world where I mean there's a lot of this to choose from like a lot of sci-fi that's like just at our fingertips constantly with streaming services and all of that and People still want to watch the Twilight Zone. Let's wrap this segment up. And Steph, thank you for being my co-host on this episode. Where can listeners find you? You can find me on Twitter at WitchXPudding. And that's the only place because I don't exist anywhere else. She does not. I can confirm. Okay, it's Elle again, and we're going to quickly run through the other two episodes. While the pair of episodes I covered with Steph seemed to question what reality is in general, 
These two leaned more into the question of fate and the consequences of free will. One for the Angels introduces us to Lou Bookman, a 69-year-old salesman described as a nondescript, commonplace little man whose life is a treadmill built out of sidewalks. Bookman immediately encounters Death, a dude with a decent suit who claims that his life is over at midnight, and encourages him to put his affairs in order. Like most humans, Bookman tries to find a way to weasel out of his fate. Not I. Death comes to me like that, I'd be like, can we move it up a few hours, my dude? Because I could get out of, like, five things if we just go now. Anyway... There are appeals because, of course there are, everything in this fellow screams order and procedure, but unfortunately for this little salesman whose entire existence revolves around shilling thread and handkerchiefs to his neighbors and fixing toys for the kids, in the eyes of death, he really has no great accomplishment left in him. Nobody is depending on him. Which, this whole part can fuck off. A person's worth to their community is not weighed solely upon how much they produce. Fight me. But also... I need to try to keep this short, so Bookman, he's no dud. Not with a tidy little apartment like that and a name like Bookman. He comes up with the idea of needing to make a quote-unquote pitch for the angels to really accomplish himself as a salesman's salesman. Death grants him the appeal, and Bookman believes he has achieved immortality by simply tucking his inventory under a table and swearing never to peddle his wares again. Well, Death must take someone with him at midnight, So one of Bookman's customers, a little girl called Maggie, is hit by a car and Death informs him that she'll be going with him at midnight instead. Bookman ultimately makes his pitch and Death misses his meeting with Maggie because he's got a fever that only high-quality silk ties can cure. And all goes back into place in the universe. There's an idea here that as human beings, our fates are intertwined. That the most important position a person can have is that of an empathetic member of a community, and etc. There's interesting things here. But it's also pretty corny and makes me want to argue a lot. The idea that fate and universal laws are fixed and sturdy constructs is a nice dream in the midst of a chaotic existence where it's rare to see a single goddamn thing makes sense. Okay, so I'm just going to move on to our next and final episode, which was Mr. Denton on Doomsday. Again, we see fate play his hand, very heavily, I might add, as the intervening peddler in this episode. So he was legitimately named Henry J. Fate, so... Let's go. Denton is an alcoholic who turned to drink after becoming Top Gun in his Old West town and deciding he neither wanted to die or kill the varmints who came to town trying to knock him off his throne. But the life of a town drunk ain't a pleasing one either, so fate steps in and a gun just appears next to the unconscious Mr. Denton as he sprawled out on a street. As a result, you'd better bet Denton cleans himself up and takes to the gunslinger's life again. Not without plenty of philosophizing about it, of course. Overall, I think this part is kind of massively fucked because, first of all, no life was a good life in the Old West. Come at me. And addicts, they don't simply snap and decide to stop everything with no fallout, no withdrawal, no unsteady recovery. And addiction is massively downplayed here in a way that's kind of disrespectful to people who have real problems. And finally... What the fuck is wrong with people? This is like Letterkenny, but Old West. Don't you realize that you could simply say, I'm okay with a gun, but my passion is in needlepoint or something? And, you know, if you don't lay your dick out on your thigh to be measured, nobody's gonna bother whipping theirs out, right? Anyway, Denton is a clean, upstanding citizen with an uncanny trigger finger, and he's immediately challenged to a duel by a younger cowpoke. And here's Mr. Fate again with his goddamn frock coat. And he's offering Denton a potion to make his shot sure and fast for 10 seconds. So apparently his Top Gun credentials aren't quite as immaculate as we were led to believe. The outcome, it's again really corny. 
Fate's intervention leads to both men being shot in their gun hand, alive and free from the burden of being able to shoot, quote-unquote, in anger ever again. As if there was proper wound care, penicillin, and such things at that time anyway, and neither was still in mortal peril. And, you know, Fate just tips his hat and leaves town. Problem solved. I just, I can't. No matter how heavy-handed this episode tries to be, it's more about the ridiculous social constructs we have as human beings rather than Fate itself. Though the abstract idea of Fate as a peddler trying to sell you the meaning of life when you should just make it yourself hits home a bit. But I suppose not in the way the writers of this episode may have intended. Anyway, that's it for this week's episode. Thanks again to the lovely, amazing stuff for co-hosting with me. Again, you can find her on Twitter at WitchXPudding. You can find the podcast on Twitter at GITM Podcast. And you can find me at Nocturnical. I'll be back in two weeks with my friend Jay to cover episodes five through eight of the first season. Until then, don't fuck around with any magical projectors or drink potions from dudes that call themselves fate, or you may end up dead. You'll probably end up dead. We're just frail meatbags temporarily animated by weird electrical ghosts, so anyway. Okay, bye!